everyone. Wanted to begin this sermon with an explanation of why we're going through the book of Titus in a series called Leading While We're Stuck in the Home. One of the reasons is I'm just not that smart. I love to go through books of the Bible and just open up the word and engage with what God has to say. Number two, we think that as we're quarantined in our homes, it would be good for us to study a shorter book of the Bible that we could engage with as a community as we help one another and spur one another on towards being doers of the word. I was on a call this past week with pastors from around the country, and they were saying that uh, since they're no longer meeting in the church buildings, it's been difficult to engage. I just want to say that I'm so proud of our community. We have been engaging with one another. We have been contacting one another. And if you're watching this video and no one is, uh, you haven't been able to reach out or been reached out to, we really encourage you to contact us on the website and let us know and we'll add you to the email list so we can be checking in on you and making sure that you're doing all right, making sure that any needs you may have are being met, and also just letting you know of the happenings that are happening with the Church of the Valley community. But one of the things that was said on this, this phone call as we were talking, a bunch of different pastors across the country, was that uh, a lot of people are just kind of doing church the way that they've been doing it. And to be totally honest, I, I mean, I don't really feel that way. I, we obviously are making sermons, we're making worship songs, we are engaging in a few different ways similar to a Sunday, but the thing that we value most at Church of the Valley is participation. We don't want to just tell you the word. We want to participate with you as you put it into practice. And so that's why we're going to have a Zoom call later on today at 1130. And hopefully many of you will engage that way and we'll just get to see each other's faces. It's one of the reasons that Mike and Karen Miller have been creating uh, devotionals every single day through the week so we can read the word and maybe talk about it with one another. It's another reason that we have prayer on a discord that you can jump onto that was created by Jordan Pond at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. every day during the week where we can pray together. And so these are different options so you don't really, even though you're quarantined, you don't have to feel isolated and we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Today we're going to be tackling a few more verses in the book of Titus, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor, Titus, who is leading a young church in Crete, which is an island, as we talked about last week, which is about 130 miles long and about 35 miles, uh, about 160 miles long and about 35 miles wide. And Paul is giving Titus this monumental responsibility of equipping and installing elders to shoulder the leadership and the shepherding burden amongst other elders and other churches, but Titus's job is to appoint them. And so today the message is called Character, Conduct, and Consistency. And that's what we're going to be looking at today specifically as Paul gives Titus the charge to appoint elders in the churches in the island of Crete. So here we go, verse 5 of Titus chapter 1. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order that was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It's unknown just how long Paul was in Crete, but he did help establish the church and he invested in Titus and he prepared him to be an under-shepherd below Christ. I was on multiple calls this week and I was talking with a mentor of mine and he said that every pastor in America is now functioning as a church planner. We're all trying to find new ways to, to do ministry and to help people engage in a way that feels a little bit more distance, distant because we're 
on a screen, but also it's the opportunity and for many of us to slow down and to engage with one another. So as a community, myself and the other elders are trying to figure out how we can cont continue the mission of helping people grow into the likeness of Jesus by being doers of the word for the right reasons in our homes while we're quarantined. So you have Paul giving Titus an explanation and instruction of what Paul was, was doing specifically in Crete and why he left, but also what he wants Titus to do. The Greek poet Homer, not Simpson, called the island of Crete the island of a hundred cities, which may have meant that Paul was asking Titus to do a lot of work because we don't see Paul equipping just one church. He's equipping churches throughout this entire area on the island of Crete. So if this is true, as Homer implied, then there were a ton of churches because of the size of this island. Now, for a second, I want you to imagine the similarities, because as we are under a mandate to self-isolate in our homes, it means that the church is still one church, Church of the Valley, but also the Church of the Living God, Jesus Christ. There are many different church ministries that are throughout the Bay Area and beyond, but Church of the Valley feels split up. We're in our different homes, we're in different places, but we can engage with one another over phone calls and video chat and texting and email, because we just don't want anyone in our community to feel alone. And we want to help everyone participate and be available to help them participate in the church of the living God. I thought I kept having this week was that we're created to be relational beings. But even before the one another's, even before myself and other brothers and sisters in the faith, I am created to be relational with my God. My hope, as I said three weeks ago, is that we would use this time to slow down. Because in Silicon Valley, we run hard, don't we? We do a lot. We spend a lot of time, most people, in their vehicles, driving to different places, specifically their work every day where they're commuting. And for some, it's a ton of time that is spent. A lot of people commute to our church. There are people that are in Santa Clara. There are people in the surrounding cities, but we have people as south as Morgan Hill driving to our church property when we meet on a Sunday, and as north as San Francisco. Hey, Joyce and Zorik. And yet much of our lives are spent in our vehicles or they're spent in public transportation attempting to get one place to another. But if we're not commuting right now, and most of us aren't, some of us are, why don't we spend more of the time that we would normally sit in our vehicles just sitting with the Lord? sitting with his word, speaking to him, letting him speak to us, worshiping him. See, don't expect our worship leaders to worship for you. They're here creating content, not so we would be Church of the Valley and do it for you, but so we would equip you to be worshipers yourselves. Just like the teaching of the word, we hope that this isn't the only teaching that you get every week. We hope that you're in the Bible yourselves. We hope that you're reading those devotionals and engaging with God. We haven't created children's ministry content because we just want to create more videos. We're creating children's ministry content because we want it to be a jumping off point for parents to be able to sit with their children and talk about the stories that are created and read. And so then they can have more of a conversation about takeaways, so on and so forth. I know that our daily rhythms have changed, but we have not changed our mission of equipping our people to put into practice what they're learning and being disciples of Jesus Christ. So Paul, 
has left Titus with this responsibility of equipping and appointing elders in every town of the island of Crete to lead and oversee their respective gatherings of Jesus' church. Now, I want to make this statement very clear. The character of the elders is vital to the health of the church. What those elders are like who lead and shepherd the church means more to the health of the church than their building size, their cash in, the cash that they have in the bank, or even their programs. The character and conduct of the leadership of a church, specifically the elders, is something that biblically seems to be of great importance and yet culturally has become more and more less, or I'm sorry, less and less relevant. It's less and less of a relevant expectation in churches today. As long as someone speaks good, as long as they have a huge social media following, we tend to forgive and forget moral transgressions and excuse them because of the pressure of the job. And let's be honest, leading a church, leading people in general, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. But a lot of times we just excuse people and say, well, they're only human. And even though there is a ton of pressure and leaders are only human, leaders in the church are called to be overseers. Elders in the church and pastors are called to be overseers of God's people. And that doesn't excuse us. If we fail, it's not, we cannot excuse it because we're supposed to be an example that others want to follow. Now, before we jump into the expectations of the elders, I want to address the term elder. It's an elder, the term elder, it's a title that I think many underappreciate and some overappreciate. Here's what I mean. The word for elder can also mean pastor. Pastor, overseer, elder, bishop. And like I told the young adults in a Bible study last year, feel free to call Pastor Mike Bishop Mike. Seriously, he likes that. And you can, call, you can address me as Tim. An elder, a pastor, an overseer is one who is appointed by God through other pastor elders in the church to shoulder some of the responsibility of being the shepherds for the flock entrusted to them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, here's how Peter, an elder, an apostle, speaks about elders. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal, appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. See, they are called to be shepherds of the flock, and they are chosen by the Holy Spirit when they're in tune with what God would have them do as they shepherd the flock. Let me show you. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So some see elders as just like everyone else, which as we will study the next few verses, they ought to be human, but they also ought to be dominated by the Holy Spirit, in tune with him, walking with him as they lead their families and the church. Because as Paul says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we're being led and we're walking in the Spirit of God, we are not feeding the pleasures and the desires of our flesh and sin nature that is in conflict but also combat with the Holy Spirit. See, perfection is not required of eldership, but pursuit of the perfect one is. 
And even though we are human, there is a standard, there is an expectation of those who are in leadership. And I'd contend of any type of leadership in the church. But today we're going to look at the highest standards set. Because as elders, as pastors, we have the largest responsibility in the church. So let's walk through this. This is why Paul is going to go on with and give expectations both to Titus in chapter 1, but also to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or as Paul says to Timothy as he begins 1 Timothy chapter 3, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. See, this is a task, being an elder and a pastor. It's an office, and it is very important to the leadership of a church but we're all part of the church of the living God. But the, the elders carry on their shoulders the spiritual responsibility of those that are within the community. With great power comes great responsibility. It was said in almost every Spider-Man film that's been made so far. And by power, we mean influence. Because elders in our ecclesiology, big seminary word, all it means is the, the study of the church and the governance of the church, in, in our understanding of the church, elders are to make prayerful decisions for the rest of the church. Sometimes that responsibility is handed to all of the elders, and sometimes it's given to a subset of elders to be ambassadors for all of the leadership. You know this, but myself, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an elder. It's really the same term. And Pastor Mike is also a pastor, but he's also on the elder board. But we also have five other elders, and all of those elders are lay elders, which means they're not paid to be a shepherd, a pastor in the church, but they help make the decisions. And collectively, the elder board is who I submit to as the lead pastor of the church. With each of these elders, spend a bunch of time in the text that we're about to walk through, over, uh, verses 6 through 9 of Titus 1. And we've walked through these together. We've studied these together. And the reason that I bring up our elders reason I bring up these men is because I want you to think about them as we're walking through this text, because you'll start to see how they actually do fulfill these things as we walk through this. In verse six, here's what Paul starts with. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being disobedient. Paul begins with blameless. Yeah, I feel like I'm out. Listen, we cannot read these expectations as something that we're supposed to be perfect at, but as a consistency of life in Christ. That's what these expectations are. What is the consistency of your life in Christ? This isn't something you do perfectly, nor is it something you hope to only strive for. It is something that happens in your life more often than it doesn't. Blameless is about a personal life that is beyond legitimate accusation, and public scandal. To be blameless means that people cannot hold things against you that multiple witnesses can attest to. An elder must be blameless. And then Paul goes on and he says he must be faithful to his wife, or a literal translation, a one-woman man. Polygamy, or the idea of having multiple spouses, ran rampant in this context, both in the Greek and Jewish cultures, Having more than one spouse was actually very ordinary, but Paul is speaking against this and saying that a man and a woman, as God had designed it from the beginning, is what is expected of an elder leading God's church, that he would be a one-woman man. 
See, how an elder handles his marriage with his bride is so important to actually reflect how he's going to help manage the church of the living God. But see, the thing that he must do is he must keep his eyes on Christ by focusing his attention on his wife. I just concluded a few months worth of study with the singles, many of the singles at Church of the Valley, and we walked through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're speaking about Paul's encouragement to the church in Corinth about being single or married. He talked about both. And listening, we did a Zoom call uh, just this past Wednesday, listening to the singles share their takeaways Wednesday night was so encouraging because I'll give you the gist of what primarily most people's takeaway was after we had studied this entire chapter. It was being married doesn't complete anyone. Being in Christ does. And both marriage and singleness is a gift from the Lord. But with different responsibilities. They have a similar target, but they have different responsibilities. And that target, which is to love God and to love others well. If you're single or if you're married, that target doesn't change. I wanted to study, with the, I wanted to study this with many of our people who are single because I wanted them to understand that the goal of the Christian life should not be to be married. But the goal was and always will be to glorify God with all that we are in whatever circumstance the Lord provides us. But for a married elder or really any Christian who's married, the expectation is that they would only have eyes for their spouse. They would give their emotional, physical selves only to that one person that God has gifted them with. Not based on what the spouse does for you, but based on your commitment to God through the covenant of marriage which God has given you through your spouse. Listen, marriage is hard, okay? Anyone who's watching this who is married knows this. Marriage is hard, but it is a reflection of the gospel. See, you mutually submit to one another as you submit to Christ, and you put the needs of your spouse before your own, which is not natural. It is, in fact, supernatural. And if I'm honest, I think it's where most marital issues stem from. We're, by nature, pretty selfish people. Can we admit this? I can't see if you're saying amen, but maybe. And to be married means that we need to care for someone else more than we care for ourselves. But we seem to live currently in the me generation that says, if someone isn't doing what I want them to be doing, I might as well leave them and find someone else that makes me happy. But have you ever noticed that according to the Bible, divorce seems to be very limited in the way that it should take place, if at all. It's simply because God takes covenants with his people very, very seriously, and we should too. So for an elder, he needs to be a man that pursues his wife's very best for her. And only her, no other woman physically, emotionally, or virtually should bide for the attention that he has reserved for his bride. He goes on. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being disobedient. Titus 1, 6, second part. See, this is a difficult text. The reason being is because of what we studied last week. We talked about election. We talked about predestination. We talked about God's sovereignty. So why does that matter? Because Paul uses the word here for your children must be believers. They must believe. See, if God is the one who predetermines, then no matter how great or bad you are as a parent, it cannot be the excuse one way or the other for a children or for your children's salvation or lack thereof. 
So what could he mean here? It means that our bringing the children up in the Lord, as an elder, we should be the head of our household as well. We should be leading our families towards Jesus. But it truly is God's underlying mercy and grace that saves anyone. So as elders, and as we chose elders at Church of the Valley, we looked at not just the elders' character, but the consistency of their conduct in their home. In his letter to Timothy, Paul does not use the term believe, but he says they must obey the father, the elder, and he must uh, lead them in a respectable way. Here's how it says it in 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So why does Paul use believe here in Titus as a prerequisite? Now, here's the thing. I love when we walk through the Bible because when we walk through the Bible, we can't just skip stuff if we're going verse by verse. And this is one of those things where commentators differ on this. They disagree. Theologians have kind of argued about this for years. Some say that children in Ephesus, where Paul was addressing Timothy, because Timothy was the pastor and elder in Ephesus, were too young to yet believe. And the children in Crete, where Paul is addressing Titus, those children were full grown. But I don't think that assumption works. Other believer, others believe that because of the immoral decay that had specifically been taking place in Crete, that Paul wanted those who had proven themselves as good stewards of a flock, meaning in their home, and had already produced good results, that's what Paul meant. But I don't think the results are up to us. In fact, to believe in God's sovereignty, to believe that he's over everything and that he is the one that's ultimately in control, even of our salvation, to believe in God's sovereignty means to believe that the results are not up to us. So why he chose to use specifically your children must believe, I got to be honest, I'm not sure. But based on an understanding of God's sovereignty, I would contend that the elders' conduct and how they have led their family is what is the most important prerequisite. Because that is not results-based, that is consistency of conduct based. Let's move on. Verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household, overseeing the church, he must be blameless. There it is again. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Now Paul isn't just pointing out a person's public persona, but his private persona within the home as well. His children and wife are those who can see firsthand who he really is. When he isn't at the church or doing church duties, my stance would be this. If a son or daughter of a pastor or elder were to say, no, I don't believe in Christ, and they would blame their father's witness and the way of life that they have seen their father live as the reason that they excuse their disbelief, then that elder or pastor is probably disqualified based on what Paul is pointing out to both Titus and Timothy regarding their choosing of the elders. So an elder, a pastor, must be blameless both in society but also in their home. And then Paul gives the instructions of what the person should steer away from regarding attitudes. He says he should not be overbearing or self-willed is another way of looking at this term. They should not believe in themselves over believing in God, meaning if they attempt to control situations with their flesh consistently, rather than going to God for decisions and, and actions when they are self-willed, 
They're overbearing, attempting to exalt themselves, exalt their own preference over others, then they're disqualified. Not quick-tempered is what he goes on to say. As uh, one of our elders, Daniel Delwood, says, he likes to quote something I said in a sermon a few months back, what's the difference between a reaction and a response? Three seconds. So we shouldn't be quick to react through our temper being the one controlling us. And then he says, not given to drunkenness. All right, let me, let me talk about this because one of the things I don't want our church to be, primarily more than anything, are people that think they're good enough because of something they've done rather than what Christ has already done for them. Gospel. Okay? So he says, not given to drunkenness. I know how some people treat this verse. To say that this means that you should not drink alcohol at all. And for some, let's be real, some shouldn't because of age, because of addictive personality or addiction running in their family, because of health reasons, or ultimately because they cannot control themselves. So yes, I would agree that they should not drink alcohol, but this is actually a pretty religious thing that people do where they add to what the Bible says. Let me give you an example of this, because in Genesis 2, God was speaking to Adam, and when he was speaking to Adam, he said, hey, you can eat from all the trees, but you can't eat from that one. Can't eat from the tree of knowledge. And then we go into Genesis 3, and if you've read, you know what happens. Let me tell you what happens as Eve is specifically talking to the serpent. In Genesis 3, verses 2 through 3, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So, what happened? Well, Adam told, God told Adam, don't eat from the tree. But then all of a sudden, when Eve was speaking to the serpent, she said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Who said anything about touching it? And my guess is, this is totally my opinion, is that Adam probably told Eve, hey, don't go near it. Because he figured if you don't go near it, you can't touch it and you can't eat from it. And yet, he added to what God had said, which is exactly what religion is. And what happens is, when we add to the text, when we add to what God has told us to do or not to do, when we add to it, we start to exalt ourselves because we think that we're fulfilling the law that we've made up, not actually the law that God has made up. So let's not be Adam and Eve, who when God told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge, that added this extra law. That's really what religion is. To add to the law of God and then exalt yourselves for doing the law that you added rather than what God told you to do. I'm stressing this because this is something we do consistently in the church. And to take what Paul said and to add to it by saying drinking isn't allowed misses the whole essence of what he's pointing out. He says, don't be given to drunkenness. Don't allow your life to be owned or defined by a substance. Don't let your life be owned or defined by a substance, any substance. Your life should be owned and defined by Jesus Christ, who bought your life at a price by dying on the cross for your sins and rising from the dead. Woo! All right. Now listen, if an elder gets drunk, a leader in the church gets drunk, he isn't immediately excluded from his role. But if he is defined by drinking, he probably should be. Then it says not violent. I think this is one that we misunderstand as well. This doesn't mean that leaders in the church can't hunt or fish, which sometimes can be pretty gruesome, and I'm pretty sure I just heard Kyle Zilka say amen. This has more to do with the control of your temper 
and your will. And to react in violence is not to be spirit-led, it is to be fleshly dominated. I was walking my daughter back from school the other day. Uh, she was picking up her books from her locker because she's now doing school at home like so many other children across the country right now. And we were talking about safety in the home and the responsibility I have to protect our family in the home. And I don't know how it specifically got on this, but my oldest daughter, Reagan, said, yeah, Dad, I don't think you'd ever punch anyone. You're a softie. And to be totally honest, like, if you know me at all, I don't think softy is one of the things that you would assume about me. And I was a little floored by this, but I would say personally, out of all the things that Paul says to Titus about what an elder shouldn't be, being violent is actually the one that I think I need the Lord's help with the most. See, I didn't become a Christian until I was 20. I got into a lot of fights before I became a Christian. And I gotta be honest, when someone wrongs me and I know they did it on purpose, my, my gut reaction, my reflex is not to go want to give them a hug. You know what I'm saying? But Reagan doesn't see me that way because she knows, yes, I would protect my family at all costs, but she sees me as defined by God's spirit inside of me working in me. And I was so grateful for that. And I know this sounds a little braggadocious and I don't want that to be it, but because both me and Reagan can both give you a thousand things that I do wrong. But when God's fingerprints are on someone because someone else can see it, I think it's something we as a church need to celebrate. That God's work, I was still floored by what Reagan was saying. But we should celebrate when someone sees us more like Christ than we see ourselves. And lastly, not pursuing dishonest gain, which is something to pay more attention to the, as elders and pastors than I think we currently do. Not just because many leaders in the church over the past 2,000 years have absolutely pursued dishonest gain, which it does happen, but listen, even the hint of this discredits the message of the gospel. I think it's no surprise that we at COV, at Church of the Valley, are very anti-prosperity gospel because it mutates the gospel from the purity of what the gospel actually is, that God in his mercy took on flesh, lived among his creation, lived the life I could not live, died on the cross for my sin, physically rose from the dead, showed himself over to, to over 500 people over 40 days, ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, sits at the right hand of the Father, and will come back one day, and Lord, please let it be soon. See, that's more of the gospel that God decided to, to bring the kingdom of God here to earth so he could reign and we could be his children. The gospel isn't about you. It's not about health and wealth. It's not about you trying to get your best life now. And so you know that we're pretty anti that. That's why we rail against preachers who want to make them themselves rich more than they want to see their people repent. But we are also so we're also anti-self-reliance gospel, one that makes it about man and what we can do for God rather than what God has done for us. And a lot of pastors and elders, listen, we love attention. We love the exaltation that we receive because we speak in front of hundreds or thousands of people, or in this case, on videos and views. And we love when people tell us how great we are, but at the end of the day, I suck without the Holy Spirit. And so we should not be a church or a people that exalt ourselves in any way, but everything that is good that we do comes from the Lord and we point it back to him. Amen? Someone say amen. So we need to make sure that not only publicly as elders, pastors, 
but privately, we really do worship Jesus as Lord and not fake it in front of some people and then secretly believe that God needs us when no one's looking. Verse 8, so he's just, he's just spoken about the attitudes you shouldn't have, and then he says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Paul uses rather. He has just challenged the desires and results of being led by your flesh, and now he's pointing out what the Spirit of God produces in his people. Be hospitable. What does that word look like to you? looks like hospital. And listen, as an elder, as a shepherd, as a pastor, we should be a hospital for people. A safe place that people can be healed at or in. Don't think of your home as the hospital. Think of your disposition as the hospital. An elder pastor has to be someone who is approachable. Because if they aren't, I contend that they're not hospitable. Maybe they're available, but are they approachable? Are they someone that can be talked to? So he says, one who loves what is good. This isn't subjective. This is biblical. Love what God says is good. Love the commands and truth of his word. Love others because it is good. Love God because he is good. To not love what is good is to love what is selfish. And then he says, who is self-controlled, which is the fruit of the spirit. If one is overbearing or self-willed, they're not self-controlled because they are led by their flesh. But to be self-controlled really means that you allow Jesus to take the will of your lives. Cue Carrie Underwood's song now. No elder pastor gets to be out of control in drunkenness, in violence, or even self-gratification. An overseer is one that is self-controlled and led by the Spirit of God. They are to be upright, Paul says. This isn't about posture. This is about character and our reputation. Elders are to be holy. And this doesn't mean to be hyper-spiritual. This is about being set apart. This is about being different than others. This is about being peculiar to a world that is about themselves. And then lastly, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So lastly, an elder, a pastor, an overseer needs to be serious about God's decrees and commands, not just intellectually, but also intellectually. Not only, but also. We better not let other people read the Bible for us. We are called to read and explain and defend the Word of God in our communities. But we also must know God through being doers of His Word, by being obedient more consistently than we are disobedient on purpose. We are to be doers of the word so we can equip others to be the same. I don't know of a better definition for discipleship. We are to be doers of the word so we can equip others to be the same. Pretty much without fail, every elders meeting that we have, we end up talking about theology, the study of who God is and what the Bible has to say about him and about us. And we're a church of a few hundred people. And in a church of a few hundred people, there are going to be a ton of opposing views. And there is going to be false teaching that so easily can creep into our minds and hearts. Right now, we are currently sheltered in place at home. We have the time and technology to listen, read, or watch a ton of sermons and teachings. And what you fill your mind with affects you greater than you think. It comes out when we're having a discussion about his word and we share something about God that isn't actually from Scripture. It's not because God gave us some new revelation. It's because we have been taught by someone who didn't adhere to what the text said and took a liberty 
and maybe, without meaning to, made it truth or they taught it as truth. Listen, I've done it. I'm still going to do it sometimes without realizing it. And I hope as I continue to grow in my knowledge and my obedience and my love for our Lord that I would be filled with his word, not popular opinion. But as elders and pastors, we are to shepherd the flock, not by only taking care of the needs of the people, even though that's very important, that's something we want to do, but also making sure that our community is digesting and applying the truth of God found in his word and refuting things that are not God's truth from his word. So you may be asking, how does any of this apply to me? I'm sitting here. I don't think I'm ever going to be an elder. I don't want to be an elder. This isn't about me. I don't want to lead in a church. I don't think I'm called to do that. Well, even though this is what Paul tells Titus to look for in elders and pastors in the church, it is also a phenomenal truth regarding what all Christians should strive for in character, conduct, and consistency. In fact, this is what I normally take uh, men who are going to be married through to let them know this is what a man who's going to lead a family ought to look like. We want to be a community of believers that's message of the gospel is not discredited by how we live and act, how our reputation is seen. We want our morals and our lifestyle to only affirm the truth that we believe that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead and life is only found in his name and we pray in his name and we exalt his name over anyone else's name and churches need to be led by leaders who are under the authority of Christ found in his word. And our examples should be ones that others want to follow and point to as displaying progressive Christ-likeness. So how we live matters, church. And what, what we believe dictates how we behave. So I'd like to challenge you to sacrifice your time, to sacrifice your treasure, to sacrifice your talents, even now when the world around us is so different than it was even a month ago. Some of us feel like we have more time on our hands than ever before. Would we donate some of that time by reaching out to other people in the community and just asking them how they're doing and maybe having a phone call? By doing Bible studies on FaceTime and phone calls and Zoom and Discord, if you haven't done this, I'd encourage you to figure out a way to do it. Contact the office. We'll connect you with some people. If you haven't prayed with anyone physically, out loud, since this whole thing started, this Discord channel that we have is at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Contact the church. We'll get you connected with it. We'd love for you to use your talents and social media savvy to point people to the truth of the gospel by either sending out the sermons that we're doing or by engaging an offering to talk with people who are struggling and using this time period in history to point them to Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to continue to trust God with your finances? Look, I know some of us are worried about our jobs. Some of us may have even lost their jobs while they're quarantined in their home. But even as you're in flux right now, may the Lord be the one that we lean on rather than on our own self-reliance. As we conclude, I'd like to encourage you to continue to give towards the work of God through his ministry at Church of the Valley as you trust him. I pray that you would do it out of worship rather than compulsion or fear. If this is your community and you are able, we'd encourage you to continue to give. You can do it online on PayPal. We have a link that'll be in the description. So I want to pray for us, but before we pray, 
Um, I'm gonna pray, and you probably know that this was done pre-recorded, so obviously I'm not praying right now as you are, well, maybe I am, I don't know, but I'm not praying this prayer that you're watching. As I pray, would you just close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? And would you just, in kind of this idea of, hey, we're still in this together, would you just affirm the prayer as I pray it and say amen when we're done? So let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we have this means of technology that we can still be together even though we're apart. God, I thank you that your word is still true no matter what we're going through. God, I pray that you would use the offering, whoever decides to give, that you would use it for the glory of your name to make more disciples in different nations and different generations for the glory of your name. Would you give the leadership at Church of the Valley wisdom because we lack it on how to help your people the best? And God, would you be exalted through everything that we're doing for the glory of your name? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.